You are listening to a production of the Network, home of Biting Analysis. This is Moonspeak Phase 2, Episode 33, Sleeping Beauties. And I am Amit. Welcome to Moon Speak Phase 2, your source for weekly, mostly, uh, Sailor Moon Crystal Season 3 discussion and analysis. Um, you know, sorry everybody for taking the break off last week, but uh, things happen and... It's how it is sometimes. We have things outside of the show that need taken care of now and then. This is very true. Um, but we're here now, and we're ready to discuss uh, Sailor Moon Crystal Act 35, Infinity 9, Infinite Labyrinth 2, which is actually uh, Sailor Moon Crystal 36, and then uh, the next episode, Sailor Moon Crystal 37, which is Act 36, Infinity 10, Infinite Upper Atmosphere. And that title, like, really made no sense to me, but yeah, what do you do? Yeah, really not so much. I mean, it could have been anything. Uh, like... It could have been titled Sleeping Beauties, like this episode of Moonspeak is called, like, because that's it's way better. Sorry. <laughs> I've, I've been wanting to use that for a couple weeks now, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I can confirm that. We've had several emails back and forth about what episode we're going to use that on. <laughs> yeah. It's just too good. The vines, the thorns, the roses, the whole thing, you know? It's, it was um, all set up. Because not only do I love Sleeping Beauty, the Disney movie, but I've also read the grim fairy tale of Briar Rose, and uh, there's a whole castle that gets surrounded by thorns for like a hundred years in one of them. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we should get moving, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so, nothing for credit this week, because people don't put anything, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to Rough Demands. Okay, um, well, I guess my, my one for 36 is... I actually forgot to watch 36, um, and when I watched 37, I didn't notice I had missed an episode, somehow. Um, it's usually not a good sign. Yeah, so, you know, I guess that uh, maybe signifies, I mean, some there were some important things that happened in 36, but... Um, if you can kind of skip the episode and not notice, that's not exactly the best of, of signs. That's a little bit of a red flag. Um, for 37, you could really feel what parts of the episode got the budget and which parts didn't. Um, thankfully it wasn't really apparent in how any of the character animation was done, but some of the effects early on, um, like the, the ocean raging... That was just them tilting a background back and forth. Um, little bit lazy. Um, and you could just tell that it was done because they were just wanted to put more time into things at the end of the episode. Uh, like the whole thing with uh, Hotaru and, you know, the transformations and all of that. But, you know, still, shouldn't be that obvious. Um, let's see, for me, uh, again, 36, I, I watched it last week, and then I said, so no, I can't do this, and I guess it was, you know, for good reason, so <laughs> I'm glad we're pairing it here. Um, but, so I really don't have anything to say about that one. But, uh, for 37, um, 
Mistress Nine, I've got a few things. So, like, Mistress Nine tearing apart Hotru's body put me off a bit, um, because it seemed like there was a lot of focus on her piercing her bosom. Um, like, I got it the first time, but I felt that, uh, like, if they'd added her scratching at her arms, like, close to the cavicle, maybe even, like, her throat would have translated the intention of destroying the vessel slightly better. Yeah, there was... Mistress Nine got weirdly sexual about things in the last couple episodes. Um, in 36, like, after she devours the crystal, she has a weirdly, like, sexual reaction to that. Um, and then, Mm. you know, continued in this... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely elation of a sort, but, uh, yeah, hmm, I guess that's a good, I can see that, I can see that. Um, so, I want to know why Mistress Nine didn't just attack the Outers when they put up their barricade? Like, wouldn't that have made more sense than just waiting to destroy Hotaru? But maybe she thought her, you know, unleashed body would do the damage. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a... (laughs) Good question. <laughs> um, and then here's one, you know, my boy Mamoru. Uh, I, I really didn't like his tone when he sort of chided everyone for not destroying Mistress Nine right away, um, even though, like, I just... Well, anyway. Uh, so, like, the rest of the moment with him was cool after he, like, flew in and was like, come on, everybody, do this. Um, but it seemed off for him to be sharp like that uh, instead of just insisting that they should do their thing and take care of Mistress Nine. Yeah, I mean, he. I guess maybe he just needed to get their attention because they were a little caught up in, whoa, Chibs, you're not dead. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and, you know, yelling at them is one way of getting attention. Right. Um, Alright, so let's go ahead and uh, get on to the frills. What, what was the stuff you really enjoyed this episode? Or these two episodes? Uh, 36 <laughs> is just, uh, you know, Haruka, Michiru, and Setsuna's little story about, you know, being alone on their planets. Uh, I also guess the door of time is on Pluto. Um, but, you know, how their little story about being alone, but then remembering, you know, the princess and the queen and how that kind of helped them. And how, you know, through that, uh, that helped Usagi kind of through that rough moment where she was worrying about her other friends. Uh, I thought that was nice. Yeah, that stuff was pretty cool. Um, and then 37, uh, in the opening, the outers were added to that little attack sequence uh, when we trans transitioned from Usagi, you know, sitting on the ground uh, into the opening. Uh, the three of them were added to that. Uh, I thought that the, was cool. The, the one week I skipped the opening. Uh yeah, no, the, the three of them were added, and, you know, kind of solidifying them as part of the team. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, nice love confession between Hotaru and Chibiusa, which then, you know, only gets pushed further by Chibiusa going off to fight on Hotaru's behalf, and Mamoru being like, oh, I've, it feels like I just gave my daughter away to be married <laughs> to this high school girl. <laughs> um, but I, I, really, I thought that was really sweet, and, you know... That's about as blatant as they can make it. <laughs> um, and, you know, just how strong and fierce Chibiusa was in getting up to fight and then actually being able to attack Mistress Nine with an attack stronger than, you know, all five inners combined. Yeah, that's pretty great. I, I love that she back attacked her, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, she he, may be they've got, like, the whole eye shadowed. Like, you got her, girl. Good. <laughs> nice. 
proud of her. Yeah, she was pretty great. Um, it's funny because she's been out, but, you know, now she's kicking butt. Um, so, like, I know I complained a little bit about how they went about it, but, like, the body horror with Mistress Nine um, was very effective. Like, it was so yes, gross that was. I was actively <laughs> twinging in my seat. Um, and I considered putting down my food because I was eating it while I was watching lunch. Um, let's see. Okay, so, like, Mom feeling as if he'd just given chips away in marriage was so sweet. I can't, I can't deny it. Um, and then, uh, Mistress Nine's, uh, towel form was pretty great, especially, like, it developed as the episode went on, and I like how it looked in the latter stages. Yeah. Um, and then, like, we get super chibi Sailor Moon, which is difficult to remember the correct order to say everything, but, like, it's really great, and I love the double grails and just, like, I could see some people, people who don't get it, <laughs> thinking that's, like, cheesy or, like, takes away from her somehow, but I really just think it's super cool, and uh, it says a lot. Yeah, I mean, she's she's such a reflection of Usagi, and, like, she takes so much from seeing Usagi do a thing that it makes her want to be stronger. It's cool. Um, uh, okay, and then uh, Flying Tuxedo Mask is something I never thought I'd see. Um, I love knowing that his love for his future wife and kid are the things that make him stronger and open him up to all these abilities he would never have had otherwise, because I think it's a really great metaphor. Yes. I agree. <laughs> uh, so what are our quotes for this episode? Uh, mine is from Chibusa. It's, I won't cry anymore. I'm a sailor guardian. And that was when she resolved to fight with the life that Hotoru saved. And, like, the fact that she says, you know, this is the life that Hotoru saved, like, that's almost a quote right there. Like, it's just, it's so good. Yeah, you, you can kind of just quote that entire conversation. <laughs> um, mine is also uh, a Chibusa line. Um, Hotoru-chan lives here. She lives in our hearts, uh, which was to Sagi when... You know, Chibiusa just explained what happened, and Usagi was like, oh, but she's gone, and Chibiusa's like, no. Um, and this kind of, for everyone who's also following Ghosts over on Uncommon, I'm like, oh, wow. How many shows can make me cry over this one concept <laughs> in the course of seven days? Surprisingly, the answer is more than one. <laughs> oh, man. Um... All right, so uh, now we got questions. Quite a few. Uh, hmm? Quite a few. Yeah. Sorry, it's just, you know, two episodes, so. Uh, okay, so first one is, uh, was Tomoe already evil, and uh, do you think he and Kori were chosen because of their lack of ethics and their proximity proximity sorry to the spatial distortion? I'm not sure if he was evil, like, if he was as far as evil. Um, before Pharaoh 90 appeared, but he had some questionable morality um, just in doing any of this. But, I mean, like, genetic experiments are a thing that people actually do right now, and that's how we get, you know, medicine. Um, and I think his the concern that he has for Kauri in, you know, the scene where Pharaoh 90 first shows up makes it a little clear that... Uh, Tomoe, as he is now, is kind of an unreliable narrator. 
Um, I mean, he's done some messed up stuff even before Pharaoh 90's guidance, but I'm not sure that all of it was purely out of, I want to go against the order of nature and be God and just see what I can do with science. I don't quite think he's Igor. Or wasn't then, but is definitely now. Right. Uh, Alright, so uh, I definitely come at it from a different perspective. Um, so I went back over episode 36, and when I realized that the professor was already using, like, drugs and cybernetics in his experiments, um, like, it just, uh, it, it kind of clinched it for me. Um, like, I figured that he likely let himself... Uh, or left himself open to Pharaoh 90's control because of his trajectory in life at the time. Like, someone who's willing to do illegal experiments for his own glory and betterment, which is, I think, taking what um, uh, Kenji said before and, like, what Tomoe said, I kind of mushed him together and, like, it seems to me like he was doing all this stuff for, like, his own glory and betterment. Um, and he was definitely doing illegal stuff. That's how I'm reading it anyway. Like, that means to me he's, like, clearly lacking morality. And I think that makes him, like, a great target for Pharaoh 90. Um, because if someone's willing to do that stuff already, um, maybe they're willing to sacrifice a lot more for, like, you know, this new Tau star system to be <laughs> made on Earth, especially if he thinks he's going to get a bunch of power out of it, you know? But Pharaoh um, 90 didn't come for him first. That's true. Pharaoh 90 went straight for Cowrie. That is true, and that's kind of something we're going to discuss a little more in a bit, um, or in the next question. Uh, so, like, Cowrie was definitely going along with everything that Tomoe was doing, and I have no... Like, I don't think she was being manipulated, just because she doesn't read as the kind of person who would be manipulated or tricked by him. So, like, I'm pretty sure she was pretty much in the same boat with him. And, uh, so, I'm putting them on equal levels there. Um, so, uh, I think in the next question, we'll kind of dig into this a little more deeply. Um, so, is it disappointing that the Witches 5 were created by Tomoe and not either Tau Star System natives or something else? Um... I mean, a little. Not so much that they're not Tau system natives, but I really liked when they came back, they were these magic constructs created by Kellanite. And I kind of wish that, you know, if they're not Tau natives, that had just been their whole deal, that they're kind of just golems that Kellanite as a witch created, instead of, you know, being these genetic experiments by Tomoe. I think that's, you know, more interesting and, you know, gives Kalanite a little bit more. Yeah. Um, well, I was hoping that they would be from the Tau Star system, but it does add a bit of an interesting angle to things when you realize that the witches were basically, like, additional daughters to the Professor, <laughs> and, like, possibly, maybe they could have in another world been, like, sisters to Hotaru, but, like, it really shows just how much the Professor was willing to give up to reach his goals, and, like, the depths of his greed and lust for power seem to be unfathomable. But... Uh, I think you bring up a really good point that it kind of takes something away from uh, Corey because, like, or from Kalanite because I'm now seeing them, like, through the lens of Professor Tomoe as opposed to through her. And originally, when things started off um, with the Witches Five and this whole Deathbusters arc, she seemed like she was the bigger deal. And I think, like, making the Witches Five from 
be from uh, Tomoe kind of like reduces or diminishes her a little bit. Yeah, and and again, I think it would be really interesting because again, like Pharaoh ninety went right for her. So be like, right. here now you have the power to make some minions. You know, <laughs> just do these things so I can take over this planet. And because it, the way that he tells the story, it seems like it's really a while before Tomoe's kind of in with Pharaoh ninety at all. Yeah, I could see that, and like. It just like I was talking about how it felt like she was the boss at first. I totally thought she was manipulating him for like the first five or six episodes, and then it turned out that no, he was you know fully in the bag with her for her ninety. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But maybe like you said, unreliable narrator. Yeah, it's just he's very much like, oh well, this happened to Cowrie, and then we got a ton of these eggs, and then later I got the chance to you know, randomly swallow one of these eggs and be a vessel. <laughs> That's still really weird, the egg swallowing. Yeah. Not like it's bad, necessarily. No, it's, it's just weird. Um, okay, so, uh, back to Tomoe a little bit. Um, did you enjoy how off-model the animation went for him when he was, uh, like, telling of his desire to become divine? It definitely, like, shows how far he's fallen and how little of him is really human anymore. Like, this is kind of a thing you can really only do in animation, and it's this great visual indicator when you can use it right, and I think this is a really good example of when to use it, Um, and I think they did a good job with it. Uh, Yeah, I I really enjoyed this in particular. Um, It's something done really well in both episode 36 and 37. Um, uh, Oh, boy. Oh, I cannot at this time think of a better way to frame this, but I love the fact that as he reveals himself to be insane and unhinged, the animation reflects that by working, or by warping his physical appearance. Um, Like, it's simple and yet so effective in communicating just how crazy this guy is. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting animation tool, and it's something that uh, Gynax, or now Studio Trigger... Um, kind of uses a lot. Um, it's it's an animation tool they really enjoy playing with. Um, you can kind of see it a lot in their kind of mid two thousand stuff. Um, a bit in a show they've got running now, Keys Niver. Um, probably a lot in Kill La Kill, but I didn't watch a whole lot of that. So, but you know, with with the with the way Kill the Kill is, I could see them using it a lot, but I know it's something they did a lot in, like, Gurren Lagann. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't realize that they did Gurren Lagann. That was one of their last... I think Gynax. it was Gurren Lagann and then Panty and Stocking um, mm-hmm. were their last shows with Gynax, and then a lot of them left and formed Studio Trigger. Hmm, that's very interesting, because then didn't... Um is Kill a Kill written by the same guy who wrote Grandlogan and Forze? I'm not Adrian? sure. I'm not sure if he was the writer on Kill a Kill. Um, I do think it was a lot of the same. It was like the same character designer and like the lead animators and all of that were kind of the same lineup. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let's let's leave Ancast right now and get back to <laughs> to the show. Uh, which is where we're also talking about anime. Never mind, I'm just being stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to mimic Aleph's joke structuring, <laughs> but uh, I just can't do it. We need more Aleph, that's the problem. Um, 
So, okay, next question. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, so, did the dissolution of uh, Super Sailor Moon's power bother you? Uh, I know Usagi said the bond was cut, but how exactly? This seemed a little odd to me. Like, they definitely got kind of dead there, and that's how it was cut. Um, but I feel like it should definitely be possible for Usagi to have felt what happened to them without cutting the power of Super Sailor Moon off from her, because it's power that she's already taken. Um, and, you know, she's still also got three people whose power haven't been cut off from her. Um, but it also does allow for the transformation that she shares with Chibiusa in 37, which is a really, you know, great and beautiful scene, so it sort of balances out for me. And I think maybe if I hadn't watched 37 first, it might have bothered me a little more, but... Again, I I really love that scene with the two of them in 37, so, yeah, you know, scene. it kind of cuts to neutral. <laughs> right. Uh, so this did bother me a little bit. I feel as if, uh... Oh, man. I should, I should be more careful about my text-to-speech. Um... Anyway... I feel as if Usagi should be past this kind of losing the power thing, but the show frames it as if something actually happened to the other Guardians, and like, you know, you're right, they they were kind of dead. They definitely got attacked by Mistress Nine, and it was a devastating attack. Um, but like, for it to break their connection to Usagi, I feel like it's a connection she has to them, kind of not dependent upon where they are or what's going on with them. So, um, I don't know. I suppose, I don't know why them... Uh, well, again, like, even if they were dead, it doesn't make sense that the emotional tie that she has to them would break, because that seems like more what it's based upon. Like, Forza, you know? Mm. Um, so, anyway, next question. Uh, did you enjoy how off-model Mistress Nine got as she was breaking Hotaru's body? It was horrifying, and I mean that in kind <laughs> of a good way. Like, I'm generally actually not very comfortable with body horror, um, which is why I get kind of weird on Uncommon about how we classify body horror, um, because if I am not unsettled by it, I generally don't classify it as that, um, and especially, <laughs> like, with what's going on here, because I can't deal with things breaking out through skin, um, that is not a thing that I can handle in any way, um, so it makes me really uncomfortable, but I can kind of accept when it's supposed to be making me feel really uncomfortable. And, like, it looked as painful as I, as I can imagine it felt for Hotaru. But, uh, that thing with Mistress Nine's eyes, I could have done without, because I also have, like, issues with eyes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> we talked about that before Ghost started. Yes, uh, because oh, I was, I was slightly concerned, given that the gimmick in Ghost, uh, for our listeners who aren't on that side of fandom, uh, the gimmick is kind of little eyeballs. Um, it ended up not being an issue because they look enough not like eyeballs uh, that it's not a problem. But uh, yeah, I have a thing with eyes. Yeah, and, and it's also not like uh, you're putting an eyeball in the Gaim driver where you have to cut it. Yeah, like nothing, nothing. I mean, the uh, the Ganma eyeballs do explode. This is true. But it's also like 
it's the same way anything explodes in Kamen Rider, so it's not like you're seeing damage really done to the eye. Nothing is, like, piercing it or anything, so it ended up not being an issue. But, you know, just her eyes going off in every direction in this was something I could have done without. Yeah. I understand. Uh, me, succinctly, it was good and creepy. Um, so, next question. Uh, was Hataru's arc from 35, uh, well, Crystal, Sailor and Crystal 35 to 37, um, well executed in your opinion? I kind of sobbed my way through 37, uh, so I think that's a, a good indication. Um, Hotaru's been kind of confused and scared and lied to for, like, her entire life, and, you know, now more so than ever. But instead of giving in to that, Hotaru just takes her stand and says, No, I'm not gonna be beaten. Like, I know there's something more to me, and I'm not gonna take this. And she knows that she's not gonna make it out of this alive. Uh, she knows she's already not made out of this alive. But she uses what what she has left to that was inspired in her by Chibiusa to bring everyone's souls back and to give the strength that Chibiusa gave to her back to Chibiusa. And I think they really stuck the landing on that. Um, so when I was answering this question, I ended up going off on a big tangent about Kamen Rider and Sailor Moon. Uh, so if you'll indulge me, I'll go through that. But if you really don't want to hear it, I'll just skip straight to my Oh, no, go for much. it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was originally uncertain about how this whole arc would turn out. Um, like, the whole arc. Like, this season of Salem and Crystal. Um, and when I say that, I don't really mean that I didn't have confidence that it would turn out well. Um, I, and I don't know if this is just something I need to get over or if it's a reflection of how differently and how well Sailor Moon is structured, but I have a hard time enjoying certain aspects of it as it's going. Uh, I end up thinking that everything is spectacular as it's closing up, so it makes up for it, you know? Um, and, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Kamen Rider too much, it's interesting to know that Kamen Rider has a reputation for not having very solid endings to their stories. I think the generally accepted idea is that they start off well and get slow or less well-made in the middle, and they have, like, a strong penultimate arc or set of episodes, and then um, they kind of go out with a whimper. That being said, I don't take the general impressions of fandom as gospel, so... Uh, it's yeah, just and anyone can fight me on that. I can name a lot of Kamen Rider series that have great endings. I know, like, for me, since I've only seen a couple, like, Forze's is great, Black's is great, uh, Wizards is pretty strong, um... Watch Blade. <laughs> I, I have heard tell of Blade's greatness, so... Blade has probably the greatest ending of any piece of media I've ever consumed. Wow. Um, and by great, I mean absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> but none, it is the most well-written. And mm. again, thank you, Sho Aikawa. <laughs> um, Alright, uh, so I'll continue. Um, so, like, it's just funny for me that I've watched, you know, two seasons of Sailor Moon Crystal... Um, like what you both started off great, made me nervous about how they would end in the middle or like three quarters of the way through and then completely stuck the landing twice in a row. So like I have the same trepidation I did before, um, or I had the same trepidation I did before right now, but like at this point I'm really confident that this is all going to end super well. Um, 
and you know, I wasn't talking about Hotaru, so I'll, I'll go back to her. Look, I can't um, judge you for going on a tangent. <laughs> I am the true. last person. Yeah, and you do it on purpose, so uh, there, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I, don't, I don't get to judge when episodes of Uncommon used to run for, like, three hours. This is true. <laughs> um, but, like, I'm, I'm really satisfied with what's going on here. Um, she looked like a hopeless, helpless victim in 35 for sure. Like, that's when it really started, I think. And then, like, slowly found strength and a resolve. And over the episode, she got stronger and stronger until she did one of the bravest and most loving things anyone can do. And, like, she, you know, exerted all this power um, and, like, through giving up her life. And if it ended there, I would be completely happy with how that was all executed. However, I do have hope that we will be seeing um, both... uh, Oh boy. Anyway, that we'll be seeing Hotaru again, and perhaps in a different form, and it should be awesome. Um, I did not watch the preview for the next episode, so I don't know what is coming. I also didn't. Or if I did, I forgot it, because that's a problem that I have. (laughs) I cannot retain information from episode previews. That Um, sounds like a blessing and a curse. A little bit of both. (laughs) Um, Alright, so our penultimate question is this. Uh, what is the significance of Mamoru gaining power? Uh, this is me taking my best guess, because they really didn't give a whole lot of hints into this. But he'd been funneling his own life into Chibiusa to keep her alive. And I think when her own soul was returned to her, she may have you know, tried to give some of that power back to him. And it, like a lot of that energy went back into him at once, and I think it's a show of just how much strength Chibiusa's own soul has, um, and, you know, this determination she has to fight for someone she really loves. Hmm. Alright, so Sailor Moon is over 20 years old, and because of that, its ideas about equality and feminism do not track 100% with how those things are thought about today. So, that puts me in mind of how uh, Mamoru... (laughs) I'm sorry. I did text the speech, and <laughs> I was reading this, and there are a couple great ones. <laughs> I think I need to post these. So you know, like Winnie the Pooh, there's Kanga and Rue. Um, well, if if Rue had a baby, and he was a she, <laughs> she might be called Mama Rue. <laughs> like, wow, people. It's M-A-M-A, capital R-O. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is great. Technology has given us a gift. <laughs> I can't even... Oh man. I was like on this whole high-minded spiel too. <laughs> uh, and then... <laughs> oh man. That's funny. Um, so, that's why sight gags are a thing in movies, huh? Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'll try to recover that a little bit. Anyway, feminism back then is not how it is now, so that puts me in mind of how uh, Mamoru gaining powers would have been perceived back then. Uh, I think a large part of it is the fact that he gets power from his daughter, from her friend slash, you know, lover potentially in the future when she's an adult and can consent. Um, 
like, and probably to an extent from Usagi, even though she's far away, uh, physically, um, the power he gains, <laughs> Sorry. another typo, anyway, the power he gains is not for his own sake, and while it may be great, it seems like it enables him to mostly be there to support them, uh, even more, which by contrast makes the women come off as even more powerful, um, I don't know how well that idea works today, but I, I think it really is neat uh, that he may be like on a somewhat equal level to all these women in terms of power. I don't mean all of them together. I mean like individually. Um, but like in a fighting game, they'd all be evenly matched. Um, but like he doesn't have to use his power because they're already doing it, and so he just gets to be there as a supporting character to them. Um. So then the final question is, did Mamoru actually henchin? Because that kind of threw me. Yeah, he did. Um, every now and then, he gets a transformation sequence, and it's always super dramatic because he's a dude in a tuxedo. Um, <laughs> and it's it's just neat when he gets to do it. Uh, yeah, so, like, that's that's cool. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> and I want to believe that. <laughs> Man, I should just keep trying to talk Mamoru into my phone and see how it comes out every time. Um, but, like, I want to believe that he, you know, finally gets his very own Magical Boy transformation. It makes me wonder if Takeuchi, like, worked this into the manga after the 90s anime, or, yeah, the 90s anime was going, because, like, he had a transformation in that, right? Yeah, every now and then. Okay. Because I've, I'm not to the point where I've seen him transform. Yeah, it's, it's not something that happens with any frequency, um, it's just every now and then, I think maybe two or three times maximum over the course of 200 episodes. Wow. Okay. Um, it's, it's not something that happens a lot. Um, I'm kind of making that number up, but that feels right. But <laughs> he, he, every now and then. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And I just, I wondered, you know, if she'd worked it in because of that, but probably not then, if that's the case. Um, so I wonder if she just had always intended to have him transform at some point, or if he really just changes his clothes, because, you know, in the premiere episode, he was walking around in his tuxedo. Um, he sure just does that sometimes. <laughs> I guess the the mask, hat, cape, and cane were, uh, you know, in That's the magical or something. bits. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, anyway, um, I guess we're done talking about these two episodes. Um, pretty good stuff. I can't wait to see, hopefully, you know, Saturn next week. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for Saturn. I really like that glimpse of her. Um, I don't know if I put that in my frills or not, but I really like that little shadowy glimpse we got of her because, like, her outfit is a little different from everybody's, and uh, it's like almost uh, well, it's very embellished, and I like all the little things on it. So, yeah, she's she's a real really neat character. I'm. You know, super excited to see her again. She was one of my favorites as a kid, um, after Mercury and Pluto. <laughs> or maybe even tied with them at points. Um, but I'm real excited for, you know, kind of the big climax of, of this arc. <laughs> Me too. Sorry, I was just thinking about Mama Ru. <laughs> Man. Like, I didn't even know my phone could port portmanteau words uh, in text-to-speech. Like, how does it know how to do that? 
does that mean like other Android users say Mamaru a lot and like anyway I don't even I I don't know but I don't know. it <laughs> it made for some great radio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, I'll, with that, we should uh, go ahead and draw things to a close. Um, yes. Please, uh, people listen, listener, um, if you would be so kind, we would appreciate it if you would uh, rate and review us on iTunes to help uh, raise our visibility. And also, uh, you can go ahead and subscribe if you're not already through iTunes and through the RSS. And if you want me to add anything else like the Google Music Store google play store or whatever um i'll do that if you ask me to um but barring that uh you should be able to download all the episodes just by right clicking on that uh, save as link um that appears on the uh episode post so uh that's all i have to say sony you want to uh plug your patreon uh a little bit um my patreon uh, is at uh patreon.com slash watermelon bees uh I'm doing, I post little comics there. I'm going to be posting two at some point this week, because uh, I have been busy, didn't get to post one this weekend, uh, or last weekend, so this coming weekend there's going to be two. Um, I sometimes post music up there uh, that I mess around with, uh, updates on, you know, games projects that I'm working on, um, and I also have uh, an Etsy shop at Etsy dot com slash brand new love song uh i do custom patches custom embroidery um i'm doing some some doll stuff um i do some doll clothes i'm actually working on a plush doll commission right now um so i have a custom order button there if you see if you want something that you don't see there feel free to contact me i will make you whatever your little heart desires (laughs) and uh a is the Kiva patch going to be going into the store now? Like, the key, the Kivat patch is Kivat. Uh, the listing for Kivat is up now, um, mm. so anyone can can purchase him. Um, I know all of the listings say only one available, but that's just because how Etsy works. I can make as many of anything as I feel like. Huh. Um, so ignore that number in the <laughs> shop. Um, I'm willing to do, like, custom colors on anything that I've done, um, such as the Ankh patch, uh, for Ankh's arm. I did in a bunch of pastel colors for funsies. Um, that's been purchased by someone, so I don't still have it at this point. Um. Now, Sona, if you could just tap yourself into the Sonic the Hedgehog fandom. uh, (laughs) Man, I... (laughs) All those recolors, I mean... If if someone wants me to make like their Sonic recolor, like if they want me me to make a patch for them, I'll do it. I'll I've I've been thinking of you know putting tweets out if someone has some you know weird weird AU where Ankh has the blue medals and wants me to make blue Ankh, I'll do it. I will make cool. whatever anyone wants um, for money. <laughs> Because this is how I this is that is my job, you guys. That is how I support myself uh, out in the universe. I've and like I said, I've done some Sailor Moon stuff. I did the uh, Sailor Stars transformation brooch as a commission. Um, I don't have a listing up for that yet. I need to uh, make another one so I can take a good product photo. 
uh, to get a listing up, but I'm, I'll do, you know, any of the transformation pens, any of the transformation brooches. Um, I'll make, again, I'll make pretty much whatever you want. Just, you know, drop me a line. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm really excited about getting that Kivat patch because uh, I am a uh, supporter of Sonos, so. Yes, uh, getting that for free as a Patreon backer. All of my backers, uh, no matter what your pledge level is, uh, get a free free embroidered patch. Again, of anything. It doesn't have to be something in the shop. Um, wow. I will just sit and design it for free once once your first pledge is processed. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, not not a lot of people who back me have taken me up on that. Surprisingly, I've only uh, done maybe three three backer patches. Because uh, yeah, you you need to contact me and let me know what you want. Um, and not everyone has done that. But you know, if you back me, like two dollars, two dollars a month, you can get what would maybe be a twenty dollar patch. You know, ten twenty dollar patch. For you know, two dollars. <laughs> yeah, and you'll get the warm feeling of knowing that you're doing a little something to help someone out. Yeah, and I mean, again, backers get uh, music re- music that I make for games. They get that early uh, updates on games. Uh, depending on pledge levels, higher pledge levels get actual uh, game assets that I create. To you know, if you have any of uh, you know, game making programs, or if you're a programmer and you need assets, like they're there for you to use at certain pledge levels. Um, so you know, check them out if you can. If you can support, that's great. I'm very grateful. Um, I think we're about I. I think we're at one third around one thirty five a month, and at two hundred a month. Um, I'll be open to doing tutorials hmm. on anything that I do. Um, and I'll probably do maybe one or two of them a month. So, you know, if we can get to that, that's another thing that people get. Very cool. All right, well, um, I think that's a good uh, a good base, and uh, we don't really have anything else to say, so let's go ahead and get out of here. Yep, we'll see y'all next week. Yes, until next time, farewell.